When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name's Joey Weaver, he's Mike McDaniel. This is a special edition, as it were. We felt like there was some some news we had to hit on. I'm sure you all know exactly what we're talking about. Uh, We still are planning on doing some bowl previews. Those will be coming here in the next week or so, so stay tuned. But for now, we got some things we got to hit on here, Mike. Some big ACC news in various respects. First of all, how are you doing? Are you have you recovered from your illness? Yeah, I should sound better on this one. It won't be a struggle for about an hour and a half or however long we run. It, you know, these podcasts vary, Joey. We're always running like way longer than we probably should, but it's all good stuff. Irresponsibly long podcasts with bronchitis is our middle name. That's, That's a right, long middle name. Um, okay, so we got a few things we got to hit on here uh, before getting to obviously the big story of the week. Um, so first of all. Last Saturday night, we got some closure on something we kind of knew was coming all season, as Louisville's Lamar Jackson was named the winner of the 2016 Heisman Trophy in what was maybe one of the most anticlimactic Heisman Trophy crownings in recent memory. Um, This is a rare case of a guy who won the quote-unquote September Heisman and also won the actual Heisman. Kind of something we knew was coming all year. Deshaun Watson of Clemson comes in second. Thought that was probably appropriate. Um, Mike, did you have any issues with kind of how this turned out or with Watson in second or anything, or is this basically what you expected? Well, Deshaun Watson's been coming in, se- coming in second his whole career, so it's not a huge surprise, right? So, no, I'm just kidding, everybody. Clemson, Clemson fans are not going to like that one. Um, no, I mean, hey, man, Clemson, you know, Deshaun he's Watson. At, he's yeah, yeah, he was, Mike McDaniel on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, hey, Watson was, sec- you know, second-team All-American, right? So, that's good for something. No, I'm j- I mean, I'm just kidding. It's, I mean, he's the second-best quarterback in the country. Lamar Jackson, the first-best quarterback, won the Heisman. Anticlimactic, right? 51 touchdowns on the year. Wasn't a huge surprise. Like you said, won the September Heisman. Arguably had a better October than almost any quarterback we've ever seen, right? And then November, he started slipping. By then, who cares? He had the thing won for two months. Uh, so, yeah, anticlimactic, obviously, a huge win for him. The biggest story coming out of it was the fact that he wasn't wearing socks with his loafers, and when that's the biggest story coming out of the Heisman ceremony, that's when you know that it's been a rout. So not a huge surprise. Um, I, you know, the order of you know the order of finish with Watson coming in second, that didn't surprise me. It did surprise me a little bit, though, that Jabril Peppers finished fifth. Um, I thought for him to play both sides of the football, do a little bit of everything on special teams as well, and to only come in fifth uh, is really a testament to you know what this award has become. It's really been an offensive award for almost its entire history, and even more so a quarterback award in recent years. So uh, I was a little bit surprised that Peppers came in fifth, but overall, from a ceremony perspective, and Lamar Jackson winning, like you said, anticlimactic, really predictable, with Watson coming in second. Watson. 
I mean, Watson's the second best player in the country right now, so it's not, you know, not a huge surprise. And, um, you know, if you got to win one game, I think you take Deshaun Watson over Lamar Jackson. But as far as the Heisman Trophy is concerned, I don't think it's that big of a surprise, obviously, that Lamar Jackson won. Yeah, I, I wasn't honestly upset that Jabril Peppers finished fifth. I think if you just look at stats and such and kind of the the numbers that tend to fuel these votes, uh, it's it seems like Jabril Peppers was kind of invited as like a consolation prize. Like, there's no one thing that he did that was exceptionally, you know, Heisman worthy. And so, yeah, a very dynamic player, figures to have a really good future in the NFL, but not really a real threat to any of the other four guys that were there. Um, I, I was pretty good with the order, I thought. I mean, like you said, I mean, Watson pretty clearly the second best player in the country this year. Very strong future prospects. That there was a lot of uh, NFL draft grades kind of coming out as like, where would all these Heisman finalists rank in the draft? And I think Watson very clearly is a, a better NFL prospect than Lamar Jackson is. It's just that right now Lamar Jackson's a, a better player in the context of the college game. Yeah. And, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was I was just agreeing with you. Keep going. We can cut that out. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the other thing I thought was relevant here is, again, it was a little bit of a testament to Lamar Jackson for, with his teammates versus what Deshaun Watson did with his. I, I felt like Deshaun Watson was getting quite a bit more help from his teammates at times than Lamar Jackson was with his. Uh, people pointed to the game they played against each other and how Louisville was so close. And I, I feel like I, I'm comfortable saying that Clemson is a more talented team than Louisville is. So altogether, I mean, I, yeah, I was happy with this. I was satisfied. I, I didn't have any any bones with it. Yeah, uh, to your point about you know Watson having more talent around him. I, I mean, I think that's clear. Um, what his supporting cast has done for him all year, um, having Mike Williams and Artavis Scott to throw to really helps. And I know that. You know, the Louisville receiving core, you know, they're no slouch either, right? I mean, they have Quick and Stables and a decent run game with Radcliffe. And, I, I mean, they got a decent team, but the, you know, the whole precedent here is, you know, Clemson has better skill players, but Lamar Jackson still somehow put up better stats. So I think that's obviously what ended up winning him the award, even though Clemson is in the college football playoff and Louisville with three losses um, will be playing in the Citrus Bowl. Speaking of the NFL draft, Mike, we got some players heading that way. They've officially declared uh, maybe one of the greatest stories ever in college football, Mr. James Conner, a cancer survivor, former ACC Player of the Year, comes back, has a great junior season, comes off a brutal injury last year at the same time as kind of that cancer diagnosis came down. He comes back, has an outstanding junior season. He is an unbelievable story, an, an incredible story. A lot of guys really have a lot of love and respect for him. He's headed to the NFL Draft from Pittsburgh and, of course, from your Notre Dame Fighting Irish. You've been calling it for months now. Deshaun Kaiser's headed to the draft as well. Those are the main kind of junior entries we saw from the ACC here recently. We got some a, a month or two ago from a lot of the juniors on Clemson, including Deshaun Watson and Mike Williams and some of those guys. So we, we've known about them. But other than that, the big news as far as NFL draft entries recently is, again, Mr. James Conner and Mr. Deshaun Kaiser. Did you feel, Mike, like these were the correct decisions for these individuals? And do you expect anybody else is going to be announcing in the near future? Uh, ironically enough, I thought the James Conner decision 
ended up being a more of a surefire decision than Deshaun Kaiser. And I know that sounds crazy because I've been talking for months about Kaiser's definitely going to the pros. He has some things he needs to improve on, though. Um, the secondary read issue where he doesn't really look off of his primary receiver. Obviously, you can't do that in the pros. They'll intercept all your passes. Um, James Conner going to the draft, I mean, he's accomplished more than anybody expected him to accomplish really at Pittsburgh, both on and off the field. You know, Pittsburgh's not a national title contender, so what is he staying for? I mean, I guess the opportunity to play for an ACC championship, but it became, you know, really a no-brainer looking at where Connor's been, obviously, uh, going through the cancer treatments. Those aren't cheap, A. Um, and, and B, having the injury that he had last year with his knee, I think that puts things in perspective that you have a limited shelf life as a football player, so when you have the opportunity to go into the draft and make your money, you go do it. And I think that's, you know, from James Conner's perspective, it was a no-brainer. For Deshaun Kaiser, uh, you know, some of the draft grades have started to come out yet. Um, not all of them are out yet, but some of them started to filter through, and it's, you know, becoming clear that Kaiser may no longer be the top prospect on the board, but he's going to be one of the top two quarterback prospects on the board. And if that's the case, uh, you're looking somewhere in the first uh, you know, mid to late first, maybe second round, depending on who's drafting at the top and whether or not they take a quarterback, obviously. But you could have a situation kind of like you had a couple years ago where a quarterback get, doesn't get drafted, you know, until late. Uh, the, the thing about this is a lot of the, and it surprises me, because a lot of the, the so-called draft experts are saying that this is a very weak quarterback class. I would take any of these quarterbacks over the quarterbacks that came out last year, except for maybe Dak Prescott, of course, because he's lighting the world on fire. But the rest of the quarterbacks in that class, I mean, who would you take over over this group? Um, and maybe a year or two from now when they're in the pros and they're performing, I'll be wrong. But uh, to me, I'd rather have a Deshaun Watson, um, a Deshaun Kaiser playing quarterback for me, a Mitch Trubisky, than maybe a Jared Goff. Uh, people were kind of talking about how good Goff was and Carson Wentz, who was good at the beginning of the year, but he's really fallen off since then. I, you know, it, that part has surprised me. But, yeah, I, I mean, I think it was more of a surefire decision for Connor than Kaiser, but I'm not surprised that either of them ended up uh, declaring for the draft. It's strange to me, Mike, that I feel like we've gotten to a point in the NFL, and this is a little bit of a side, side note, a little bit of a tangent, but we've gotten to a point in the NFL where it's like drafting quarterbacks has become a little bit of a crapshoot and like you mentioned, I mean, clearly the best quarterback in last year's draft as far as results so far would go is like fourth-round pick Mississippi State quarterback Dak Prescott, which, I mean, if you had told somebody that before the draft that he was going to be the best guy as a rookie, everyone would have looked at you really sideways like, what, you know, what's this guy smoking? So um, I, I'm, I was thinking about this. I'm, I'm concerned about this decision by Deshaun Kaiser not because I think it was, like, the wrong decision, like he really would benefit from coming back, but I think that with the way that the system is set up in the NFL right now, he's going to go to the draft, he's going to be one of the highest-rated quarterbacks in the draft, he's going to be one of the first ones taken. He's going to be taken by a team that's going to expect him to start at some point in year one, and I think that he could be very good with time, but as you kind of were referring to, he's not ready. Yep. And he's going to be put in this situation where he's asked to start before he's ready, and it's going to end very poorly for all involved. And so that's that's my concern. I don't think that inherently it's a poor decision. I just think that the NFL is going to totally misuse him, and and it'll end up wasted. So maybe not the greatest outlook on things. But like you said, uh, uh, James Conner, I mean, for all reasons, he should be going to the 
he, he should be going to the draft, and it's I, – I think that that was the only really move for him to make, especially – so put the cancer thing aside, which is a phrase I won't say very much in my life, but, I mean, that aside, he's a running back who's had a critical injury before, yep. and by that – by that logic, a guy that's eligible for the draft and getting pretty good grades, he should go now. Yep. You cannot afford to keep playing for free if you're James Conner. So um, I think good decisions by both. I'm very concerned about Kaiser long-term, just, again, based on the, the, the way that the NFL figures to use him. But overall, I can't, I can't blame either guy. And the, the only other guy that we're kind of waiting on that we talked about a little bit before we came on and we've talked about in the past is Brad Kaya. He's said some things before, like he's going to come back for his senior year at Miami. I Maybe I'm remembering this wrong, but I don't think we've gotten a final answer from him on this, so that could come down at some point, but ultimately I would not expect him at this point to, to be entering the draft along with Deshaun Kaiser here, Mike. Yeah, and uh, I mean, at the beginning of the year we would have said, yeah, Kaya is you know, the top two or three quarterback in the class, right? And now it's almost flipped. Like, he and Kaiser have switched spots. And it's interesting now because we're pleading, essentially pleading for Kaya to come back, right? Like, go back to school, um, get another year under your belt because you're not ready yet. And can't really say that to Kaiser now. It's just very two very different decisions that maybe we weren't expecting at the beginning of the year. Yeah. Curious to see how this works out for everybody. Um, obviously, wish them the best being ACC guys. Speaking of uh, quarterbacks leaving their schools, that was a rocky transition. Uh, we, we found out earlier this week that Florida State quarterback Malik Henry, recently thought to be a, a very high-potential guy there in Tallahassee, he's going to be transferring. He's leaving Tallahassee. Um, he, remind me, Mike, he was injured and I think suspended, and there was some... There was some negativity kind of surrounding his situation before eventually DeAndre Francois was asked to take over there for the Seminoles. Uh, is this really a surprise to you? Should it be a surprise to anybody? It's not a surprise to me. You know, initially he was battling um, with DeAndre Francois back in camp when McGuire, when Sean McGuire was nursing the foot injury. And then Henry got hurt and Francois assumed the starting job and then played well, obviously, well enough that Sean McGuire wasn't going to unseat him at quarterback. And then Malik Henry was kind of the forgotten guy. Well, he got into some issues off the field. He was suspended by Florida State. He eventually came back and suited up for a couple games towards the end of the year, but he was essentially a third-string quarterback. I think he had fallen out of favor a bit with the coaching staff. All we heard was good things about Malik Henry prior to the season. We talked about how he was really – you know, potentially pushing for playing time if DeAndre Francois didn't take the quarterback position by the reins. And what we ended up finding out is, you know, he gets hurt and then, you know, he falls out of favor with the coaching staff. He's a third-string quarterback. He gets suspended. Uh, it was head, And then there were rumors about him transferring for really, like, the last half of the season. So the fact that the answer to the question we were all wondering is what's going to happen when Malik Henry ended in transfer uh, at this point I don't think it's that big of a surprise considering kind of how the season has gone for Malik Henry obviously he's a true freshman he's going to be able to transfer find himself a place where he can get some playing time and uh, really develop from there we can see just how good he is but as far as this being a surprise I don't think it's um, that overwhelmingly surprising at this point that it ended the way that it did worth noting here I don't know if you're starting to pick up on this Mike but 
it's it's started to been it's kind of been mentioned a little bit around Georgia Tech this year. They're Georgia Tech's got four players over the last couple of weeks that have announced their transfers, and it's been mentioned that that's becoming less and less unusual around college football. Um, it's it's been kind of a, a well-known and acknowledged epidemic in college basketball over the last few years until there were some rules put in place to make it much tougher and much less inviting for players to transfer. But I feel like, I mean, every day we're getting news about one or two kind of high-profile players that maybe aren't playing as much that are going to be transferring out of their schools. This seems like a really bad deal for the game. Um, I, I can't really blame individual players if they're trying to get more playing time somewhere else. But it's it's kind of disappointing, you know, to see that guys are going to school for a year or two and not getting to play yet and saying, forget this, I'm out of here, I'm going to go find somewhere else right. to play. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know how you feel, Mike, but that just kind of is one of those things that kind of rubs me the wrong way here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm with you. I just don't like the fact that, you know, some coaches will go out and they'll say, like, hey, you can transfer if you want to, but you can't transfer to X, Y, and Z school because, you know, they're on our schedule in the next couple of years or they're in the same conference. Like, let them go. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if they're not going to play for you, let them go play for somewhere else, someone else. I mean, it's their decision ultimately where they want to play college football. You know, they Agreed. and they committed to your school in the first place. So the fact that you're now holding them kind of hostage and not allowing them to go maybe where they want to go because you di- you made the decision that you didn't want to play them, I think is bullshit. So, I, you know, ultimately I think it should be up to the players where they want to play college football, and that's if they make the first decision. They made that decision on their own. Let, let them make the second decision on their own. If they find out that they're not going to get the playing time, they've fallen out of favor of the coaching staff, whatever it may be, uh, let them make that second decision to go to a school where they can be successful because ultimately that's what these coaches are in the business for, right? They want to A, win national championships, B, collect a huge paycheck, and C, grow and mold young men who want to go on and, and either play football at the next level or go on to do something great with their lives, right? So if they're really about improving the lives of all these college football players, they should let them do what is best for them. And by not letting them transfer to a school that they want to go to because – they happen to be playing your school that year, I think is a selfish decision on the coaching staff considering the fact that these coaches weren't even going to play the players in the first place in most cases, and that's why they're transferring anyway. The other thing I'd tell you, Mike, that would really get me hot under the collar, and I I haven't heard of a situation like this specifically, but if I were to find out about one, would be a situation where a coach made some promises to a recruit, got him to sign with his school, did not follow through on those promises, and then was trying to block him to go somewhere else. Which you know absolutely happens. Yeah, I I would not be the least bit surprised, but I would be extremely, extremely irritated and and angry to hear about that. So, um, like you said, I mean, that's happening somewhere. I'm confident of it. I I just wish I knew where so I could know where to direct my rage on Twitter. So, um, I mean, that's that's the kind of immoral, you know, win-at-all-costs attitude that I I think can be pretty reprehensible even in a, a competitive environment like this. Yep, I agree with you. And I, and I think that kind of stuff does happen, um, to your point, which you don't hear about a lot, but you, you get those situations where coaches don't necessarily follow through on promises, but they do to get the recruit in. Um, and then they end up not playing them or not giving them kind of what they promised them, and it leads to transfers, and then they don't want them to transfer to a school they're playing on the schedule. I mean, it's it's got to happen, I would I would assume. Well, Mike, we'll get a little bit more into morals here in a minute, but... First, we got one more little bit of news. 
Notre Dame lost their defensive coordinator, obviously, uh, Brian Van Gorder, RIP. Uh, RIP. He, uh, he made his way down to Athens and supported Georgia in their loss against Georgia Tech. Um, but in the meantime, <laughs> Notre Dame was looking for a new defensive coordinator. It looks like they found one. This is pretty recent. We're recording here Thursday night on December 15th. Uh, it was starting to come out recently. It looks like they're, they've tapped Mike Elko, the defensive coordinator at Wake Forest, is going to be heading to South Bend. Uh, obviously, Elko ran a really good defense this year at, at Wake Forest. Um, they were a pretty solid unit. As a Notre Dame fan, what are your feelings on this hire? Because in my opinion, I, I would kind of tend to think that Notre Dame could go for a little more high-profile kind of guy. They could, and but I kind of like the hire. Um yeah, they could go higher profile. You know me, I was talking about and advocating for, even though it was very unlikely to happen, for Charlie Strong to be the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. I didn't think that ever even had a snowball's chance in hell of happening, but I figured, hey, that would be really fun, huh? Bring Charlie Strong in, have him be the defensive coordinator there with Brian Kelly, maybe save the season. I don't know. Like, do something, do something crazy, save Brian Kelly's job, and maybe have this heading the right way next year, but... You know, ultimately they go with Mike Elko, and he commanded a very good defense at Wake Forest this year. Um, a big reason why Wake Forest is bowl eligible. We'll talk more about them shortly. Um, everybody, yeah. Stay tuned. Um, stay tuned. The fire is coming. Um, yeah, but Elko had a very good um, defensive side of the football this year. Um, really. We talked about this at length. I mean, Wake Forest rush defense was very solid all year long. They kept them in a lot of football games. Um, there were some games where they were just outclassed by um, other schools' opponents, you know, or the, the other school, not the other school's opponents. That was dumb. Um, but the, there are just a lot of good offenses that Wake Forest faced this year, and if Mike Elko didn't do the job that he did with Wake Forest, I'm not sure the Demon Deacons would be bowl eligible. But, of course, they are, and now Mike Elko is uh, moving on uh, out there to Notre Dame where, I mean, hopefully he'll do, he'll do a good job there. I know a lot of the players were advocating for somebody who, you know, was already on the staff to kind of take over, and that's due to the familiarity aspect from all indications. So Mike Elko is a really likable guy. Uh, a lot of the players at Wake Forest spoke highly of him as well. So it's, it's a good hire for Notre Dame. It's going to fly under the radar a little bit potentially. We'll have to see how he performs at a higher profile job, but um, out in South Bend, and it's going to be a little bit tricky for Elko, too, maybe long-term, uh, if you think about it, right? He leaves a pretty secure position there at Wake Forest, considering that Dave Clawson has the program going in the right direction. He goes to a higher-profile job out in South Bend, and if Notre Dame's not very good this year, Brian Kelly could be fired, and Elko could be out of the job there in South Bend and could be looking for work here in a year or two, and that would be an issue for him. So it's a risky proposition for him, but obviously the name recognition being a defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. That's that's a promotion for being a defensive coordinator at Wake Forest, obviously. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how he pans out at Notre Dame next year, but I think it's a good under-the-radar hire for Notre Dame. First of all, Mike, you mentioned the potential of Charlie Strong joining Brian Kelly there. That is about as fire and ice of a combination. Like, Charlie Strong is like the antithesis of Brian Kelly in yep. like every single way. So. It would never work. No, not not I at mean, all. Like, I, man, I would love to be a fly on the wall in that interview. Like, oh god, wow. Um, it's like Charlie. Are you excited to be here? Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, hmm. So, my take on this. So, I mean, this this hiring looks a little bit like 
Michigan last year hiring Don Brown out of Boston College, right? So a little bit of a lower-profile job, but a guy who was running a unit that was doing really well. At the time, I thought that was a really good hire just because I thought that Don Brown and the defense that he had put together there at Boston College was really exceptional. And I thought that that hire made a lot of sense for Michigan. Here, I mean, the Wake Forest defense has been good, but not like world-beating, you know, the only thing that's kept them in games, right? I mean, for Boston College, that was a 3-9 and team that somehow could have found their way to like seven wins because of how well their defense played, even against the likes of Notre Dame and some very top-notch opponents. Um, with Wake Forest this year, it just it wasn't quite that for me, and so I thought this was a, a bit of a strange one. I, I would have more expected uh, Notre Dame to go for a guy like a Jim Levitt, who had run the, runs the defense at Colorado that's been really good this year and has kind of fueled their resurgence. Yep. Something like that. A little more high-profile guy, former head coach, something like that. But ultimately, I mean, I can't I can't knock him for the decision. I'm very curious to see how it works out. Uh, like you said, Brian Kelly's future is not stable at all at Notre Dame. We assume that he's going to be back next year. The, the athletic director there at Notre Dame, Jack Swarbrick, has told us that he will be. But we'll see. <laughs> Time will tell. So I uh, thought this was an okay, kind of an okay move for Notre Dame, but I, I, I'm not totally sold on it just yet. Yeah, we'll just have to see how it plays out on the field. And like I said, it's going to be a very risky decision potentially here for Mike Elko, making a jump to ND potentially only for a year if Brian Kelly doesn't have a good season next year in South Bend. Mike, the time has come. we got to talk about the main event here, and – We'll start this by saying this 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 story, as many people know by now, the Wake Forest you know game plan leaking, better known as Wakey Leaks, which or, fantastic name, or even maybe even my personal favorite, the Woke Forest story. <laughs> yes, um, this this story is like off season as hell, and I don't know how we're getting treated to it in like the pre bowl season time frame, but we're going to talk through this. So let me set the stage here real quick for, for those that are uninitiated. We haven't discussed this at all yet either. That's also something that ha- this has not been planned. I don't know where this is going to go, but we have not planned this at all either. So let's just throw that out there yeah, as well. Yeah, and, and for those unaware, that, like, this is kind of rare. Usually we kind of game plan beforehand and talk through kind of what our viewpoints on stuff is or whatever. Mike and I have not discussed this really in any level of, of detail beyond the fact that we really need to talk about this. So we have no idea where this is going to go, first of all. Um, I don't even think that we really mentioned it when it came up, and so I'll, I'll kind of set the stage here. Is this, this first came up about a month ago. Um, some people remember, so Wake Forest traveled to Louisville. Louisville was favored in that game by like 35 points. They were going into the fourth quarter, and Wake Forest led 12-10. to 10. It was an ugly, ugly game. It was real bad before Louisville scored 34 points in the, thir- in the fourth quarter alone and won 44-12, almost covering 35, uh, you know, despite their three quarters of struggles. And it came out uh, maybe two, three days later that Wake Forest had found some of their documents in some very suspicious places, you know, within the Louisville facility, either on their sidelines or somewhere. And it looked a little bit like Louisville had gotten some some of Wake Forest's game plan up front and had made use of it in some way. And it was very suspicious. And my first response to this was, how does this make a lick of sense? I mean, 
This is, you know, Louisville does not need Wake Forest game plan to go beat Wake Forest. Um, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And so within, you know, a few days there was some, you know, some scuttlebutt, but then it kind of quieted down. Well, earlier this week, uh, it came out, so it's about a month later, Wake Forest had done a, an investigation on this, and what they had determined was that they had a, a color commentator named Tommy Elrod, formerly a coach at Wake Forest under Jim Grobe, formerly a player at Wake Forest, so a, a steaming deacon through and through. Steaming deacon. Oh, this is, yeah. We're not getting through this without saying the steaming deacons. Um, steaming deacon through and through Tommy Elrod, Apparently since 2014, so for the last three years in the entirety of the uh, Dave Clawson era, has been feeding some sort of confidential and or proprietary game information, you know, game preparation information to Wake Forest's opponents. Uh, it does not appear that he was compensated for this. It doesn't appear that he was, like, gauded into this. It seems like he did this, he took it upon himself to go give information to Wake Forest opponents uh, in, in these games. And so the first school that was implicated here was Louisville, obviously. You know, that's where the whole thing kind of started. They started to, started to connect a few dots. In the time since, uh, your Virginia Tech Hokies, Mike, have been implicated in this. Good God. They have, they have yeah. admitted to being invo involved in this. Uh, the United States Military Academy, Army up in West Point, the beacon of integrity otherwise, uh, has been implicated in this potentially. Uh, Indiana has been potentially implicated in this. Like, this thing is, like, pretty far-reaching. And so, as a result, Wake Forest has fired Tommy Elrod, obviously. Uh, that was... Surprise. Clearly the first course of action. Um, it, I, I should mention, too, that he was afforded full access uh, to all of Wake Forest's game plans uh, and all of their practices, all of their film sessions. You know, he could basically go do whatever, whatever on earth he wanted uh, within the context of Wake Forest football. So, as a result, you know, they've fired him. I, I would guess there might be some legal repercussions coming for him as far as, you know, Wake Forest pursuing a, a lawsuit of some kind, but Mike, before we kind of talk about any legalities or moralities or anything here, like, this is almost as bizarre of a story as I can remember, just from several angles here. Let's start with when this first happened, not when it first happened, because, it, you know, it's spreading back over a few years, but when we first kind of heard about this story... We heard about the Wake Forest game plan slash football documents in weird places after the Louisville game. You and I never mentioned it on this podcast, but you and I were texting, and I remember you said, hey, did you hear about this? And we were cracking up, and that was it. It was like, why would they need Wake Forest stuff? It's like, oh, fourth quarter starting. Yeah, that's right. We have Wake Forest game plan. Let's try to cover the spread, you know? Um it sounded outrageous at the time. It's not the reason why, and by the way, it's not the reason why Louisville covered. So I hope nobody took that seriously. Um, but that was the first time we had heard really anything relating to this. You and I were kind of cracking up. And now this week, over the last, what was it been, almost two, almost three full days now, it has been the wildest story I have ever heard. It is very strange. I mean, to have, first of all, how it kind of started, Having Elrod be a player at Wake, then a coach at Wake, 
and then being let go from the staff when Dave Clawson's crew comes in, and then he still remains with the university as the radio announcer. So it's a perfect storm of events that lead up to him even thinking about doing something as crazy as this, giving game plans to, to opposing teams, sabotaging his alma mater that he's essentially been part of since the early 90s. That in and of itself is crazy enough. And then we can start peeling back the layers to this, Joey, because there are a million different directions we can go with this discussion. Okay. So where, where I want to start here, let me make sure. Um, uh, man, so <laughs> I don't even know what to do with this. Like, this is so unusual and so, so odd. Um, okay, so... First of all, who in your mind is at fault here? Is it Dave Clawson for giving such a level of access, or is he kind of uh, is he absolved of blame here for you know giving access to a radio announcer who has a deep history with the team? I don't think you can blame Dave Clawson. Um... There are a lot of situations around a football program when somebody retires, when somebody um, maybe isn't a direct, uh, uh, you know, not directly related to the coaching staff, but is still a major part of the football program or, or any program, you know, basketball, whatever it may be around a, the athletic department, is given some level of access. It's not unheard of that a school radio announcer the voice of the team is given access to certain parts of the facility that media otherwise wouldn't be given access to. That's not a huge surprise, and it's not uncommon. What I'm curious to see is if this now changes around the country. Now, you don't get access, you don't get access, you know what I'm saying? Like People that would ordinarily get access, you wouldn't even think of doing something like this, and 99.7% of them won't. But now you have Elrod, who's, who did this, and it's going to change the way certain athletic departments are run. I mean, that's that's the way that this could go. My follow-up to this is, I, I mean, he's purely at fault, obviously, for being a mole, but my follow-up to it is, what is your motivation to doing this? And we don't know. We might find out here over the coming weeks what his motivation was. My best guess at this point is he wanted Dave Clawson fired. I think that's the obvious one, right? The most clear. Clawson didn't retain him as a holdover from Jim Grobe's staff. But Elrod was still a part of the program as far as, you know, from a radio announcer perspective, was able to get a job there in that regard. But he wanted a coaching job, and Clawson didn't give it to him. And Elrod decided, okay, well, let's do what I can to get him fired. I That's the only motivation at this point, unless there was some sort of financial reward. And that's where this could get really messy, not only for Wake Forest, but for the schools that have been implicated. Was there some sort of financial ramifications to this was Elrod being paid a certain amount of money to receive um, or to give the game plans to these opposing teams was was Louisville was Army was Virginia Tech Indiana potentially whatever schools are named here after we finish recording this podcast were they giving money to Tommy Elrod to get the Wake Forest game plans and if so why and if that's the case a bunch of schools are going to be at fault, and this could turn into a massive issue for the NCAA. And, and to be clear, as of this recording, 
there has been no implication that any money changed hands. Pure speculation. Between, Pure speculation. Yeah, between schools, between coaching staffs, nothing. like the, Anything. No money. There, we know nothing about money at this point. Now, I have heard some speculation that this might have been involved in potential gambling by Tommy Elrod. Uh, that is also pure speculation that I have heard from others. Uh, I, that's not my own speculation. That's not a fact that it happened. It's just we're in an era, Mike, where I feel like I need to say this four times that this is not this is not a definite thing that happened or is definitely a, a motivation. Four times, or somebody will like file something to audacity, and we'll never be able to record again, or something ridiculous. Of yeah. course. Um, as of now, I, I will say as well the the prime motive that people have come up with for why on earth you would sabotage your own school and your own program has been that he was not held over from the Jim Grobe regime when Dave Clawson came in to take over in Winston-Salem. This was done kind of as a as a a revenge kind of thing to sabotage a program you know for a guy running it that did not value him maybe as a coach. Uh, Which seems like something straight out of like a TV crime drama, but um, so he was, I, I want to point out too that a lot of this has been linked to Louisville and to Army and to Indiana and some others because this was being done by Elrod through connections that he had with other, uh, through previous coaching regimes, right? So uh, the, the primary individual in the Louisville coaching staff had been on the staff at Wake Forest with him. Uh, same thing at Army, same thing at, at Indiana. I don't know for sure if that's the same case with Virginia Tech, but... I'd love to know, though, because I did not know about that, and I'm going to be researching that heavily Absolutely. to see. Uh, which doesn't necessarily mean, obviously, that that's the unnamed assistant at Virginia Tech that received the information, but if that's the case, we might have just cracked the code. Absolutely. Yeah, cracking code, that's what we do here on the Basketball Conference Podcast. That's, that's what we do. Okay, so... So clearly, Mike, this is a huge issue for Wake Forest. This might end up kind of changing the way that a lot of athletic departments around the country do business. I want to talk about, and I think this is really the meat of the discussion that is really interesting to be had, is let's talk about the other programs that are being implicated here. And we're in particularly interesting position as your Wake Forest <laughs> Demon Deacons. Demon Deacons. Yeah. Your Wake Forest Demon Deacons gave information to supposedly your Virginia Tech Hokies as well as my Louisville Cardinals. So this this is involved fan teams that we are both fans of. Um, and so here's the real dilemma to me is the teams that were accepting and likely, you know, using this information in some capacity. I think we can both agree that it's kind of scummy. It's kind of uh, it's not the right thing to do. The right thing to do would be to call up Wake Forest and say, "Hey, by the way, this guy reached out and was trying to give away your private information." Clearly, nobody did that for a long, long time. And it, if you read closely enough in the story, it sounds like Louisville was trying to leave like breadcrumbs around, hoping that Wake Forest would find them and like pick up on it, like leaving stuff in almost intentionally in conspicuous places, you know, so that Wake Forest would start to put pieces together, which is, that's a whole other discussion, but, (laughs) okay, so, but the teams that were receiving and theoretically using this information in some form or fashion, do they deserve punishment for that? It is 
clearly not the right thing to do. It is a bad look. It's scummy. You know, it's embarrassing. Everything else. However, in your opinion, Mike, is it a punishable offense by the NCAA or the ACC or any other governing body? No, I mean, it's not a crime, Joey. Um, was it unethical? Yes. I mean, if you're an assistant coach on one of these staffs and you're offered the game plan, should you take it? No. But at the end of the day, um, how many of these coaches are going to go out of their way to report this? Um, because I, as much as people are going to want to shy away from this, and I'm not going to, this happens in collegiate athletics. A lot of weird, unethical stuff goes on in professional sports, in college. This is not an uncommon thing, as, as much as people want to make it out to be this huge deal. Um, it was interesting because I was going on, you know, I was on Twitter the other day. I was looking at a couple of, a couple of things, you know, kind of reacting to this. And, and what was basically going on is there was a Twitter exchange. I wish I knew who it was on Twitter, but it was basically... Um, a college coach at the Division II level that was basically um, discussing this with a reporter um, informally over text, and they were able to you know, share part of the text on Twitter and basically said, this is a non-story um, for the actual uh, coaching staffs. I mean, they're going to try to save face as much as they can, but this is a really unfortunate thing that happens in athletics. Now, it's not always the case that you know, it's going to be game plans, but there's a lot of unethical, sleazy stuff that goes on in the background. So, I mean, should it be a punishable offense? I mean, at the end of the day, it's going to be it's going to be tough to tell. It really depends on what the next step in this story is. If we find out that it was, you know, like we said, you know, maybe money was exchanged, you know, there, this could go a number of different directions, all speculation at this point. I think it would have to take on a whole other layer if this is going to go down the road of, yeah, is this punishable for the schools that accepted the game plans? Um, It's not a great look for these schools. I think recruits will be turned off by it, quite frankly. I I think it could be an issue in other ways that may affect them more than, you know, taking away, you know, or giving a team probation or uh, whatever it may be for this offense. Uh, There could be other ways that these schools could be hurt. And, you know, I think if you're – head coach of a program and this is happening and this is where I I mean I'll let you comment on this this is where I think Louisville might have slipped up here is if you're Tom Jurich the athletic director of uh of Louisville and you see this happening and all you can say is yeah you know this is unfortunate this is coming out this is a distraction or team before the bowl game you know as far as we're concerned it's a non-issue well it might be a non-issue for you at the time, but it's not a non-issue now, a couple days later. I mean, this is turning into a massive story that you've tried to sweep under the rug, and how bad does that look? Um, and I, I think that's where this is going to kind of take a new turn, is, you know, the athletic departments, it depends on how they handle it. If they try to get out in front of these stories, I think the schools will be better off in the long run if this gets really messy later, as, it, you know, if the snowball gets rolling, it kind of takes on other layers. But I think a school like Louisville, who kind of chose to say, hey, nothing to see here, if this turns into a situation where there was money exchanged or it was something relating to gambling and you accepted the, the game plans um, for some alternative benefit, 
then I think it's going to be a major issue for the schools in fall. So I think it's better for the schools to get out in front of it, kind of tell the truth is really important here, even if it doesn't look very good for your school. But I think that's what's going to have to happen in order for a lot of these schools to kind of save face if this does start to turn even uglier than it already is. And I think what you're talking about here is like the really the key and crucial difference between how Louisville has handled this versus how Virginia Tech has handled this, where Tom Jurich, Louisville's athletic director, came out and made a, a statement that basically everybody took one look at it and was like, oh my God, did this really come from an athletic director? Where he was basically saying, yeah, it happened. Uh, we figured out exactly what happened. We figured out why it happened. And we wish that we really hadn't kind of been looped into this. There was no, like, <laughs> we're sorry that it happened. We apologize to Wake Forest. There was none of that. Meanwhile, Virginia Tech comes out and says, yes, we've identified that this happens. We're really sorry that it happened. We are you know, so sorry to Wake Forest, and we're going to make sure that it doesn't happen again, which is a totally different way of approaching it. And so I think that was a huge key difference. Um, I'm, I'm with you. This is, this is a, a kind of a discussion that's been going on over from the Rumble seat, the, the Georgia Tech site that I run on the SB Nation network, is whether, I mean, so for pure moral reasons, yes, this is wrong. I mean, you you know, if you're Louisville and you start getting this information, yes, you need to be turning it over and kind of selling out this guy and telling Wake Forest, hey, this is happening, make sure it doesn't happen to other people, right? Cut and dry, that's, that's the moral thing to do here. Um, from a legal standpoint, though, I don't know that I personally can really tell you that I think that any school or program that has accepted information as we understand this to have happened, meaning it did not happen in return for money or favors or anything else. They just were offered information and they said, yeah, sure, we'll take it. Yep. Um, In that case, I personally am not of the opinion that those programs should be punished for that. Yep. This is going to sound kind of bad, but on some level, from a legal standpoint purely, if somebody wants to sabotage their own program for no reason other than I don't know they're you know mad online about something <laughs> mad <I> mean, online <laughs> legally I don't know that there should be a, a repercussion for letting them do so I'm with you um, now obviously again bad look not moral there are way better ways that any of us would think that you should handle it but I don't know that the NCAA or anything really could come down on someone in this competitive environment for handling it the way that they did. Um, the the example that I use with people kind of in an analogy standpoint is, Mike, if, if I'm the professor of a, of a college class and you're a student in my class and one of my TAs comes up to you and says, you know, hey, there's an open notes test coming up. Here are the answers to the test. You can use it as a part of your notes. I can be mad at you that you didn't, you know, turn it over, that you use those notes on the test, whatever. I don't know that I can punish you anywhere near as much as I can punish uh, the, the TA who gave them to you, right? Like, it just, I don't know. Yep. I, and, and I'm not going to lie, like, I'm conflicted on it. Like, I don't, th- that's my kind of initial reaction is that, no, there shouldn't be a punishment, no. and I don't feel, but I don't feel great about it. Like, if somebody put a gun to my head and said, you know, how, how strong do you feel about this? Yeah. I'd say, I don't feel that strong at all. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, I just, but it, it, it is such a weird and, and kind of messy situation. It's, it's not cut and dry at all as, as I see it. And so I, I, I think that's kind of what makes it so unique as compared to anything else we've and seen. And I don't want to make this sound bad, but how about Army? Like, what? 
like they're involved. As as I mentioned, usually the the beacon of yeah. integrity and and all that. I mean, wow. Yeah, like I'm I'm a Virginia Tech graduate, right? I feel like the school, for the most part, holds themselves to a relatively high standard, but. In no way, shape, or form do I think we hold ourselves anywhere near the standard that the United States Military Academy does, right? And I don't want to judge, and I want to be careful here, right? Because I also don't want to judge entire schools on the actions of one person. Um, And this is, I mean, this is coming from a guy who graduated from Virginia Tech and went to a school where there was, you know, one of the largest mass shootings in U.S. history. I mean, if I based that on, I mean, seriously, if I based that as my decision to go to college, I wouldn't have ended up at Virginia Tech, right? So I'm, you know, I'm sitting here telling you that I don't want to judge one person's action on behalf of the entire school. This doesn't change my opinion of Wake Forest at all. This makes me think that the one individual at Wake Forest who they've since gotten rid of was a cancer. He was horrible for the school he made i mean people can make mistakes joey but this is egregious this is unlike anything i've ever heard within athletics um but let's keep it in perspective you know i mean there was you know way worse that's gone on in collegiate athletics you look at the baylor situation penn state what it five or six years ago now there has been way worse in collegiate athletics but i've never seen something that has kind of taken on a mind of its own within a given set of games um this is unlike anything we've seen so um it's a different level of uh violation so to speak it's different than we've ever seen i think that's why a lot of us are having a hard time getting our heads wrapped around it and why it's going to be very difficult to punish if you're the ncaa who by the way doesn't handle punishments well anyway well that's that's a whole other dimension (laughs) this is I mean, you, you could basically spend the uh, the NCAA compliance wheel of destiny to figure out what the punishment is going to be for any given infraction. I mean, it, it seems almost NFL levels of the punishment in no way ever matches the crime. And not to say that nobody ever gets it right, but there's just zero consistency between kind of infractions committed versus penalties received. Yeah, I, and one of the other things, Mike, that you talked about is the fact that you went to Virginia Tech, right? And I talked about the fact that I'm a, I'm a Louisville fan. So on some level, like, we have a dog in this fight. And something that I, I meant to point out up front and that I didn't do a great job of, but I've, I've done my best as I kind of diagnose this whole thing, is I feel like I have to separate myself, you know, separate Louisville from the actions that were done in the sense that I don't want to connect my opinion of what should happen there to the fact that I'm a fan of that team. Yep. And so I try to I try to keep this in perspective of like if this was just generic team ABC versus team XYZ, what should happen? Um, I, I'm not 100% confident that I'm doing so, but I, I'd like to think that I am. Yep. I, I'm definitely of the opinion that if they come out that, well, Louisville paid for this information or if, if it were, you know, some sort of actions that they were taking, such as bugging a locker room or surveilling practice or something that was egregious, yeah, they should be, you know, they should be fried for it. They should yep. be given every, uh, they should be punished to every extent of the law. But with the way that this situation sets up, as far as we know right now, it, I just don't know that I can say that. And, and to your point about kind of separating, you know, fandom from how you kind of feel and how, you know, you feel this should be handled, I went on... A radio show down in Blacksburg uh, today, and 
we basically discussed Frank Beamer coming out and saying, well, he didn't know, right? And Bud Foster coming out saying he didn't know. So the, of course, the question that was posed was, you know, Frank Beamer is a guy of high integrity and, you know, should he be investigated in this whole thing? The answer that I gave, you know, as much as it pains me as a graduate of Virginia Tech, as a Virginia Tech fan, is if the NCAA thinks that Frank Beamer even had an idea of this going on, yes, he should be investigated, thousand percent. And nobody has meant more to Virginia Tech as a school than Frank Beamer. And nobody's going to sit here and question his integrity. But at the same time, if something comes out, if there's information that, that comes to the surface that says, you know, hey, he had an idea this was happening, he let it slide under the rug, a la Joe Pa on a diff- much different level, I just want to clarify, much, obviously much more serious with no, right, than, than this would be. Yes, he should not be punished, but there should be some sort of ramifications. Um, I I don't know what those would be, but if you knowingly accept them, you're cool with it, you sweep it under the rug as the head coach, I think that's perhaps a different issue if it's a head coach versus an assistant. Then you're going into a whole thing of, well, you know, we told the NCAA we had nothing to do with it, and then, oh, found out that, hey, you might have had something to do with it, and you lied to the NCAA, then that's a different thing. Now, Frank Beamer has been investigated by the NCAA. That's, you know, taking it two or three steps further than this is actually at at this point, but that's a whole other element to it. It's just kind of an example. Uh, to your point, kind of trying to separate fandom from how we kind of feel this should be handled. Man, what a weird story. <laughs> what a weird issue on so many levels. We're, we're kind of in the phase right now, Mike, where we're still getting some new information here from time to time. Um, this really only kind of broke a little over 48 hours ago, so details are continuing to come to light. We'll, we'll be sure to kind of follow up on this. I'm sure that there's more that's going to come out that we have not yet heard of. I, I don't know the extent of that. I don't know who's going to be involved. Uh, but this thing, yeah, as, you, as we've talked about, I mean, this could get a lot more messy. That is that is every bit possible. So we will be sure to keep everyone kind of updated and, and give updated takes as necessary as, as this thing continues to evolve. Um, but, Mike, I, I think that's all we had for tonight. Did you have anything else you wanted to get to? A nope. Good deal. So as we mentioned before, we've, we've got some bowl games coming up. We're going to be getting previews out. Um, we've still got a little bit of time. The first bowl game is not until the day after Christmas. So we do have some time. So Mike and I, we're going to be getting to that here the next few days. Um, look for those to start dropping here uh, in the coming days, like we said. We'll try to make those as visible as possible, but certainly – the, the, the places that you'll easily find it are on iTunes, on Google Play, on SoundCloud. Uh, you can subscribe in all those places and rate and review us and do all those neat things. Uh, you could also find it on Twitter. Usually it is pinned to the top of the at uh, BC Podcast ACC Twitter page. Uh, that's our Twitter page together. You can also find us on Twitter. We'll be tweeting it and talking about it. In the meantime... Uh, I'm at FTRS Joey, and he's at Mike McDaniel ACC. Uh, you could also, if you're curious, you know, on our thoughts on something, if you want us to expand on something, if you want us to uh, hear your thoughts on kind of what we've said here about the whole Wakey Leaks deal, uh, you could send us an email to the longest email address in mankind history, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it again. Yeah. I'm on a roll here. Um, but I think that's about it. Mike, I, I look forward to starting to dig into some of these bowl games here in the next few days with you. Yep, sounds good, Joey. All right, well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I'm Joey Weaver. Go ACC.